Hey, at the letters listeners, before the episode gets going, we wanted to let you know Sportsnet's weekly Blue Jays newsletters are coming soon. Written and produced by my co-host Ben Nicholson-Smith, each newsletter will deliver Blue Jays fans with original content you won't find anywhere else other than your inbox, plus all the most important news, analysis, and videos you may have missed but need to see. So, sign up now at sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. That's sportsnet.ca slash newsletters to have the most in-depth, exclusive Blue Jays coverage delivered directly to your inbox. That's sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Don't miss out. Here's the 1-1 pitch. Swing and a fly ball deep right field. Back for J.B. Shock still going back. Running, running. There she goes! A walk-off three-run home run for Josh Donaldson. Blue Jays win it 10-9. Two outs, bottom of the ninth. Strike one pitch. Fly ball deep left field. Yes, sir, a walk-off home run again. Blue Jays five, Tampa Bay Rays four. Bottom of the ninth inning. Josh Donaldson's 41st is another game winner's third walk-off home run. Unbelievable. A key figure in Toronto's first postseason appearance in 22 years is the American League MVP. Josh Donaldson was the top choice of 23 of the 30 voters on the committee to become only the second Blue Jays player in their 38 seasons to be honored, joining 1987 winner George Bell. Third baseman number 20, Josh Donaldson. Donaldson did some amazing things in his stay with the Blue Jays. The fans have supported me from day one. Today, they really showed that again. It means a lot coming in here. It's been a while. For me, it seems like it's been even longer than what it actually has been. And to be able to come in here, be able to play in front of these fans again, it was nice. Have a very detailed roadmap for us today, Ben. We're going to look back in the first segment. We're going to look at the present in the second segment, and we're going to look into the future in the third segment. Very prepared today on Ad Letters, brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger. It's very organized. It's a very nicely structured mm-hmm. plan. Yes, we'll see if I stick to it. Yeah, We'll start on the rails and we'll look back because this was the week that everyone chose to uh, relitigate the departure of one Josh Donaldson. It makes sense. It's the final week of summer or the final week of August, at least. And in some ways, it's like the final week where the Blue Jays have to be like the center of attention in Toronto. You know, like soon, like NHL training camp's going to start up like, you know, the NBA will start kicking again. The MLB playoff race is going to heat up and then the Blue Jays can kind of slide back to the background like they were in May when they were like actually disastrous and it wasn't being talked about as much because you had the Raptors playoff run and NHL playoffs and all those things going on. But this week, Josh Donaldson is the topic. You were down there at Rogers Center on Tuesday for his uh, his return. Do you think any differently? now than you did a year ago about how Josh Donaldson's departure played out? Maybe a little bit. I I think we've seen in the last year that Josh Donaldson still is an impact player. And it wasn't completely clear that he would get back to that point. Um, I think that was reflected by the return that the Jays got for him, player to be named later, now that we know to be Julian Merriweather. Still hurt, by the way, and has only made a couple of 
rehab outings in a Blue Chase uniform. <laughs> um, so, we, yeah, I think the industry was not sure if Josh Donaldson would return to form. He only got a one-year deal, so there was some doubt there. And he has really, really played well. I mean, four and a half wins above replacement. You look at 32 home runs, and he's been out there every single day. He's a vegan now. He said that's really helping him. You um, love that. I do love that. That's awesome. <laughs> You're like, let's uh, sit down and talk about this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's uh, he said it's helping with inflammation. He's on the field. Can't argue with the results. No. So that's uh, in that way, my perception has changed a little bit because we've seen him return to being an elite player, one of the yeah. best hitters in the National League this year, whereas my impression of the trade itself hasn't really changed and my impression of the return hasn't really changed either. I think we have forgotten just how much uncertainty there was around Josh Donaldson, not only at the time that he was traded at this time last year, even in the offseason, yeah. when it was kind of like, well, what's this guy going to be? You know, like what kind of contract does he even, you know, get, right? And it ended up, you know, being one year 23 yeah. with Atlanta, with his old friend Alex Anthopoulos. And it's obviously like worked out great. Like it looks like it tremendous signing yeah. for for Alex but like at the time when it happened it was well can he get back to normal right like can he be himself again like is he ever going to be peak Josh Donaldson again like we're not talking about the youngest guy in the world like we're talking about you know 32 33 years old you know I do think that we've kind of forgotten about that uncertainty a little bit yeah and a year ago there was so much of it he had not played in three months at the time that the Blue Jays traded him so his last major league game was I think May the 28th. So he missed all of June, July, and August, played in some rehab games, but even then it was unclear how how easily he'd be able to run. So of course the Blue Jays were not going to get much back in return. And they're faced with a decision at that point of, do we trade him and see what we can get? Or do we just hold on to him knowing that they weren't going to qualify him? And I, I know there are people who say that there's a case to be made for qualifying him, both at the time and in hindsight. I just think it wasn't going to happen with the personnel the Blue Jays had and the opportunities they wanted to create for young players. Okay, fully looking like with the benefit of hindsight, the return is disastrous. Oh, yeah. It's atrocious. It's nothing. Julian Merriweather has not thrown an MLB pitch, and it looks unlikely that he's going to throw one this year. So He won't throw one this year. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I know he's throwing off flat ground, and they're talking about, like, you know, fall league, or can yep. they send him to fall league? Like, yep. 28-year-old dude in Fall League. <laughs> He'll be 10 years older than the rest of them. <laughs> right? Or, I don't know, is he going to go over to, like, Venezuela or, like, Mexico to pitch in a winter league, like, which is a whole another like, can of worms to open up? So, like, the, the return is terrible. But you have to remember what the Blue Jays were trading. Like, they weren't trading this Josh, like, four-and-a-half win no. Josh Donaldson. They were saying, like, hey, we've got this guy who the last time he was on an MLB field – couldn't throw the ball across the diamond. He hasn't played in three months while he's been rehabbing multiple lower half injuries that have been mysterious and that he has suffered setbacks on. And he's, you know, having to post like Instagram videos showing, hey, look, I can still run. You know? I swear I can run, guys. <laughs> I can do it. Um, a guy who at that point hadn't been like productive, Josh Donaldson, or even like, you know, just above average MLB producer in like 12 months. So what are you going to get for that? Not a lot, but even still, the Blue Jays didn't get enough. It's fair to say that their decision was understandable to trade him and also that they got virtually nothing in return. And I mean, I believe that if someone was offering them a top prospect and if, if the Atlanta Braves had knocked on their door last August and said, we're going to trade you whoever it is, Colby Allard, the Jays would have done that, yeah. obviously. But yeah. those offers weren't out there. So they took what they could get. 
and it wasn't much. And they took a shot, doesn't seem to be working out. Maybe, you know, and, and that's, that's the way things look right now. So credit to Donaldson. I think it's just really bad circumstances for the Blue Jays as opposed to, you know, this is like some sort of disastrous asset management. But there's no denying they sold him at the lowest point. The asset management argument is that they should have, you know, traded him in the offseason, right, prior to 2018. And I was not one of the people who was saying that they should trade him at that juncture. So then I can't sit here now and be like, this is terrible asset management. You you had to be there in the offseason, 2017-18 winter, saying they need to trade him right now. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that some of those people are out there and maybe some of those people are, are listening to this podcast and that's great. But I wasn't among them. You weren't among them. So no. You know, at that time, we thought, all right, let's see what can happen. There's a second wild card in play. Maybe the Blue Jays can grab it. And Josh Donaldson and Aaron Sanchez and Stroman are healthy in 2018, and they win something. And they didn't, obviously. It wasn't even close. But, you know, <laughs> I think at the time, there was a case to be made for trying to compete. And just didn't work out. So here we are. Even the way that he ended 2017, like people forget, like he ended that season on such a tear. And it was like, oh, he's Josh Donaldson. Like he is amazing. Like he's an MVP candidate. Bring him back. Try to compete for that wild card spot. If it doesn't work out, you've got this great asset to trade at the trade deadline. Like the thing nobody foresaw was the fact that he started the year unable to throw and then had these calf injuries. I mean, that that's the circumstance part. So, like, I just can't sit here and, like, make the case that it was poor asset management because I wasn't arguing for it when they should have traded him with, you know, knowing what I know now. And, and sometimes players get hurt, and that totally hurts their trade value. We've seen it with Ken Giles, and it's unfortunate when that happens because you're obviously hoping to get something from those guys if you're not competing. But... You know, you can't necessarily control injuries. I know that to some extent, that's the purpose of a department like the high performance department or any team's training staff. And I agree that has the potential to make an impact. But I don't think that the calf injury that sidelined Donaldson for three months last year, three and a half months. Yeah. What's the best case scenario for a training staff there? Are they going to make it two and a half months as opposed to three? Like they're not going to make it three days. You know, once that calf tear exists or once that injury happens... He's not just going to be out for a couple of weeks because you have this amazing training staff. Now, he didn't see eye to eye with high performance in Toronto. That's very clear. He made it clear at the time. He's made it clear since then. That's a fact. But I don't know that you can pin a three-month injury on a training staff. That's To me, that's overestimating the impact that a training staff could have. There's some holes in his story there, too, because he's like, well, okay, so I was working with them in 2017. Okay, you're on the field all the time in 2017. And then I stopped working with them in 2018. Okay, what happened in 2018? You didn't play at all, right? And it was, you know, and everything that we heard was that over that, like, winter of 2017, 2018, like, he was doing his own thing. Like, he went off and worked out on his own, and he showed up and couldn't throw, and then tore his calf. Yeah. So the other thing that I think was a big trigger point, like, I don't think Alex Anthopoulos is trying to do this, right. but sometimes he says things. <laughs> that are, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, maybe a little bit. I don't know. Who knows? I haven't asked. But sometimes he says things that are, like, so perfectly constructed to be, like, to inflict maximum pain on, like, the most insecure <laughs> Toronto sports fans. Yeah. So when he comes out and says, Josh Donaldson wanted to stay here, he wanted to be a Toronto Blue Jay forever. He wanted to finish his, his career in a Toronto Blue Jays uniform. And a, a lot, you know, a big part of Toronto sports fans go, 
Nobody ever wants to stay here. An MVP candidate, like caliber player, wanted to stay here and wanted to play for us. Like, why couldn't we get this done? Well, because Alex Anthopoulos only said, like, the first half of the sentence, right? First half of the sentence is Josh Donaldson wants to finish his career as a Toronto Blue Jay. And the second half goes playing third base every day well into his decline years while making $30 million a season into his late 30s. 100%. That's the second half of the sentence. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he leaves that part out, which yep. like no, you know, uh, responsible franchise is going to, you know, as good as Josh Donaldson is, take nothing away from him. He's having a fantastic season, but no responsible franchise wants to be paying that guy $30 million a year when he's 37, 38, 39. Right. You want to give him the Robinson Cano deal? I mean, because Albert Pools? What yeah. Do you want to do? At a certain point, and we don't, I don't know the numbers, I'll say. And, um, they certainly haven't been out there publicly, but it certainly appears that the extension talks that the Blue Jays had with Donaldson existed with a huge gulf between one side and the other. And the Blue yeah. Jays would have been willing to do some sort of significant extension for Donaldson, but it wasn't going to be some sort of huge, you know, 30 million times you know, seven or eight for argument's sake. And so if that's what Donaldson wanted, then good for him. That's awesome. He was an MVP player. Of course, he should want that. But it doesn't mean that the Blue Jays were going to do that. Yeah. And I want Josh Donaldson to get paid. I want yeah. every player to get paid, right? Like I, and Josh Donaldson like was rewarded very substantially through arbitration. And I think that's great. Like he set a record in arbitration. I think that's awesome. Like the high tide raises all boats, right? Like keep it going up. But like, Thinking from purely the franchise's perspective, when you have Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who is a phenom and is ready to step in and play third base, like, I understand people paint it as, oh, well, you know, you could have had, you know, them, like, sharing time at third and maybe Josh Donaldson plays them first. Or, no, they're like, Josh Donaldson's not doing that. Like, he wants to be the guy at third base. Like, that's his personality. It's part of what makes him great. So he's really intense and competitive and aggressive, right? And he goes and gets it. But he wants to be the guy at third base. Yeah. When you're signing Eric Sogard to a minor league deal and you're yeah. trying to convince him to join the Toronto Blue Jays, you can sell him on playing a little second, a little third, maybe even a little left field. But that's not going to work for Josh Donaldson. I mean, I, I, at least it would not work in the circumstances the Blue Jays were at with him where clearly the relationship was not great at the end of last year. No. Um, and Donaldson basically said as much yesterday and made that pretty clear. It, it was hurtful for him, the way things ended. And so he, I don't think that it would have been an easy sell to say to that guy at that point in time, we're going to bring you back. We expect you to mash and be a super utility player. That's the other thing. Like, it's, so yeah, I want to, you know, be a Toronto Blue Jay for the rest of my career, but I don't trust their training staff. Right. <laughs> so, like, clearly, like, that's, you know, this isn't a great, like, marriage. You hey. know, like, and we've seen, like, Josh Donaldson. Like, I think a part of what makes him great is that when things aren't going well and when, you know, the team's losing, like, he's very honest, right? Yeah. This isn't the Tri League. It's the Get It Done League, right? Like, he is very direct and, and honest, but, like, that, I'm sure it could be uncomfortable in a clubhouse, particularly when you have players like Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., et cetera, et cetera, trying to establish like their own clubhouse presence, trying to establish their own careers to have like Josh Donaldson isn't going to be a quiet voice and a quiet presence in the clubhouse. Like I don't think he's going to be like a Justin Smoke type of leader. He's going to be a Josh Donaldson type of leader, yeah. which is a different thing and a good thing on a winning team but maybe not what you want on a rebuilding team and a young team. 
And, and let's give Josh Donaldson credit for the impact that he had in 2015 sure. when he and Russell Martin were among the driving forces behind a different culture in that room and one that seeped out onto the field. We saw the kind of grinder mentality that they had got after it every day. The results were there. But Donaldson at 32, 33 years old, he's go- like you said, he is going to be someone who expects to have a voice, maybe the voice in that room. And if you want to create an opportunity for Biggio and Jansen to come up, then it's a lot easier to get Donaldson somewhere else. Because you know Biggio and you know Jansen, they're not going to step on Josh Donaldson's toes. They would have been very respectful of him and his experience and his accomplishments. But if he's not there, it creates a pathway for them to set their own tone. At the Letters is, of course, brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger with an available terrain management system, which automatically calibrates engine responsiveness, transmission, gearing, and vehicle control systems to provide the optimum traction, drivability, and performance. Speaking of performance, <laughs> the Toronto Blue Jays not performing particularly well. They're losing again, Ben. They're winning for a while there. Like, maybe they're 500-ish. For a while there, and then they kind of you know go on this West Coast road, road swing, and uh, they're they're back to uh, losing. Good for for draft pick placement, you know, back in locked into that number five spot rather than the the six or the seven. Losing to Seattle helps uh, in that regard. I don't know, maybe not so good for morale on on a young team. You know, the Blue Jays lost six in a row there at one point. They lost eight of ten. What does it all mean? To me, the wins and losses are so secondary. Nothing. And, it means nothing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that even the players. You know, we were just talking about Donaldson, right? If he was on this team and they were losing this much, yeah. I think it would it would create a sort of it, it would it would be really tough. And I think it is tough on these guys in a sense, but with so many of them, they're going through their first major league season. They're in Seattle, seeing all this support from Jays fans. They're going to Dodger Stadium for the first time. I think there is a happy to be here element. That's okay, you know, yeah. for this season where the Blue Jays are obviously going to be a losing team and potentially a team that loses close to a hundred games. So. You know, we're we're not under any illusions here. They're not on the fringes. They're not in the race at all. So I think it's okay. But of course, there will come a time when that changes. But in the meantime, it's it's fine. They're just losing a lot. It's all right. And you're you're gonna get your brains beaten in by the Dodgers. Yeah, like, that's a that's a very good club. The LA Dodgers have scored nine runs or more thirty times this season. Wow, the Blue Jays have done that fifteen times. Even that's <laughs> a lot, actually. So the, the Dodgers have doubled up on the Blue Jays, though. 30 times they scored nine or more runs. They scored seven or more 49 times, which is 37% of their games. Wow. So every third day, the Dodgers score seven. They're, and and they have a pitcher hitting. And yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. In the NL. And throw Russell Martin on the mound in the ninth to uh, protect their nine run lead. Scoreless. Russell Martin's been so good as a pitcher. Got him swinging, proving that he can live at 88 and still be dominant. Moving the ball around here, wanting to go low and away, throws it up and in. There's a hole there, too. Second K for Martin. I was watching the highlights. He's, like, elevating, and I think that the hitters facing Russell Martin are so eager to tee off that when he throws the fastball, like, basically neck high, they think that they can hit it. 
and it, they just swing under it. It's you, it's actually great. You can tell he's thinking like a catcher out there too, right? So like, you know, like O2, he'll like elevate or like he'll go up and in with a fastball oh, yeah. or like he'll like double up on his his curveball on his off-speed weapon, like down and away. Like you can tell like and he's even you can tell he's trying to cuz he's like really like following like he's finishing his pitches, oh, yeah. right? Like he's following through. He's giving her. Well, I mean, he's throwing 88 to 91. And we've watched the Toronto Blue Jays this year. We've seen a few guys throwing 88 to 91. And What's Thomas Pannon been throwing? 87 to 89. <laughs> I mean, and he's not in the majors anymore, probably yeah. partly because of that reason. But yeah, Russell Martin's got some heat. Uh, good for him. Good for him. So I think that the Blue Jays are a team that uh, can reliably beat up on like the Detroits and the Kansas cities of this world. Uh, and can reliably lose to the MLB's elite because the Blue Jays are not anywhere near your Houston's or your New York's or your, uh, your Los Angeles's, your Los Angeles. Uh, but it does speak to the fact that the Blue Jays have a decent platform. Like considering that this is a rebuild, they have a decent platform in that they are kind of in that middle ground to build off of if they go out and acquire like some legitimate starting pitching this offseason. Yeah, they have some good players for sure. And I think that, you know, even facing the Braves the other day, Soroka, you know, having a great season. And you see them open up with singles by Bichette and Biggio and Vladdy. And they're hitting this all-star pitcher um, and and getting some some traction against him offensively. So I think, you know, we've been talking about it all year. They have the they have the pieces offensively. And Lourdes Gurriel Jr. making progress as he comes back from a quad strain. He should be back. Potentially within a couple of weeks. Um, doesn't sound like it's an imminent return, but hmm. it sounds like you will return this season um, to to have at least a few weeks to wrap up a, a really promising season for him. So you've got the pieces there, and then you know I, I think there's room to add too. You look at first base uh, going into this winter. I don't know where you land on on Rowdy Telez and where he fits for you, but to me this season's been pretty disappointing for what he's been been offering, considering the amount of playing time that he's had. Um, and the chances to learn at this level and the way the ball's flying out of the park yeah. across the majors this year. You know, I think if smoke departs and Telez is, is going to be in that picture, but I'm not sure exactly how much job certainty he will have. Yeah. He's going to be a streaky hitter and we've seen it. Like remember last September in, uh, in the majors went on a, a hell of a run, right? Hell, he came up like he wasn't supposed to play at all. And then he was just like hitting a double every plate appearance. And John Gibbons like, yeah, this guy has to play. And then we saw him earlier this year in the majors go through a pretty cold stretch, ended up getting demoted. And then maybe he just had his hot streak in Buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> he just had his hot streak there and then has come back and he doesn't look that dissimilar from the guy who was in the majors before his demotion. Uh, you know, like I know he's made some tweaks and he's searching for it right now, but he's still expanding too much. Uh, still a little too much swing and miss. Um, you know, I don't know if you're ready to like cut bait on him or to give up on him, but yeah, maybe you do need to add someone ahead of him so that he can start next year in AAA Buffalo and continue to try to find his consistency. I think they have to. I mean, otherwise, if you're going into next year with the intention of competing, are you really handing this job over to a player? who has limited defensive value, to put it generously, and his OPS right now is 709. I mean, that's that's the OPS that you would take from Freddie Galvis or Eric Sogard, someone who contributes defensively. And at first base, you need more than that. You need it to be 809 or 909, and you're not seeing that. So it's not to give up on the guy. He has options, so there's no point in giving up on him. You put him at AAA or you have him in the majors for stretches and and 
um, have him contribute for for periods of time. But I don't think the Blue Jays have any obligation to go into next season guaranteeing him a job at first base. That's why I don't hate the idea of bringing back Justin Smoke sure. on like one year plus an option, sure. right? Like you could probably get that done with him like today. You know, I think you could <laughs> really, yeah. you know, I'd like if I were him, like I would definitely go to open market and try to see what else is out there. But like, I, I think he's the type of guy who likes where he is, likes the city, is familiar with it, he likes clubhouse, he likes, you know, the room, likes Charlie, all that. Like he might just say, yeah, like all, you know, if, if the rate is reasonable, let's get it done. I, I think I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, you look at Smoke, who hit his 20th home run of the season recently, switch hitter OBP above 350. He's not a great offensive player the way that we saw in 2017 when he hit 38 home runs, but he's been a good offensive player for this team. Um, someone who's at least useful to hit 20 homers, 350 OBP. He's at least an above average hitter and he's a steady producer at first base. So the other thing is he's, if Rowdy Telez has some breakout season, all right, you can move smoke, trade him or, you know, put him on the bench more. You're, you're not going to have. He's not going to stand in the way of that kind of move. So I, I think that whether it's Smoke or someone else, that's an opportunity that Jays need to look at. And even in terms of the leadership role that he's taken on, like that just can extend into next year. Like if you're trying to bring in like a veteran guy next year, like obviously you do your research and you find out like what the character and the makeup and how he's kind of operated in previous clubhouses. But you're still taking a bit of a gamble and a yep. bit of a risk, right? Like you know, you like you don't you don't know if you're going to get like an Omar Pascal situation or right. whatever, right? Um, and with Justin Smoke, he already has a familiarity with these young players, so they already know him. So you just kind of can you've already done like that work, that base level of a relationship is there. Whereas you bring in a new guy, like yeah, some guys can walk into a clubhouse and like immediately feel comfortable and immediately take on that kind of veteran leadership role. But I think for a lot of guys. They kind of lay back for a little bit and they like let things play out and get the lay of the land. It takes there's a bit of a learning curve and there's a bit of growth that happens there with Justin Smoke, you, you know, and like we're talking about intangibles, right? So who knows? But there's, you know, the, you already have that base layer of a relationship with those young players, that I think could help. Yeah. And, you know, it's baseball is a long season. These guys spend a lot of time together. And in the course of that year, Sometimes you'll hear the occasional gripe about, oh, this guy, you know, he's yeah. not showing max effort or I just don't know if he's the right fit in this room anymore. I've never heard that about Justin Smoke, like not even once. So it just it just seems like he is such an easy fit for what that's worth in the clubhouse. The Blue Jays could have like easily Freddie Galvis Justin Smoke. Right. Right. <laughs> and they haven't. You know, right. he's the one adult left in the room uh and I, I don't know that kind of says something in a way right like it does say something that they trust him to be around and they like having his his presence around so that like i don't know you know you don't end up with like luke maley is like your lone like veteran dude hanging out right like i think that it does say something about justin smoke that the blue jays haven't you know they could have very easily just released him given the keys to rowdy Tellez, right and, and just opened up for space and now you, billy mckinney can play there sometimes brandon jury can get some time there like the Blue Jays roster would arguably, for the phase that they're in right now of rebuilding and developing, be more optimal without Justin Smoker. Because, like, as we said, the wins and losses over these final 30 games, whatever it is, don't matter. So you don't need like that great first base defense and like a good switch hitting bat and all that. They could open that up and create more playing time for their young players. And they have it.
Tired of subscribing to multiple streaming services to get your sports fix? Introducing Sportsnet Now. Live stream the entire MLB postseason and entire World Series, over 500 NHL games, Raptors and NBA, and much more, all in one subscription. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. Get the best bang for your buck with the sports streaming subscription that gets you the most content. Visit snnow.ca for more details. So we've looked back, we've looked at the present. Now let's look to the future. Starting to get interesting with some of these AAA pitching performances, Ben, uh, since the last time that we spoke. And we were talking about TJ Zoic's uh, no-hitter. That Buffalo Bisons rotation has just kept rolling. TJ Zoic, Anthony Kay, Nate Pearson now in there. The Blue Jays have like some interesting high upside pitching at the AAA level right now. Yeah, Pearson, you know, by all accounts in his start on Sunday, it was just really good. The two hits he allowed, an infield hit and a homer back-to-back. And so he lost two runs. But yeah. by all accounts, he was he was really impressive. Uh, the Blue Jays were pleased with what they saw from him, not surprisingly, in that outing. And I think it will probably be his second last. He'll probably make one more AAA, call it a season, and that'll be it. No call up um, and basically get into rest mode for 2020. Yeah, it's got to be like if it's not obvious to anybody, like Nate Pearson's not coming up in September, like yeah. because like for a number of reasons. I mean, he's already like quadrupled his his innings total from a year prior uh there are obvious service time concerns which like obviously we hate yeah don't like it for the players like i think it should be like change the next cba like i don't like that the best mlb talent is not in mlb like the best baseball players are not in the highest level of baseball that people pay the most money to see sucks for fans too it's terrible right i don't like it and players getting paid less yada 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 that's how i feel but from the organization's perspective, I understand that they would want to, you know, look at Nate Pearson and say, hey, we could have seven years of control instead of six. So obviously he's not going to come up in September and not going to come up in April either, unless it was like towards the end the of 29th. April. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know, you're just not going to see that. But I do think that Nate Pearson probably spends the majority of 2020 in the Blue Jays rotation. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. He should. I mean, if he hasn't de- if he doesn't debut next year, something's gone horribly wrong. Um, yeah. I think that, but I, like spends more yeah. than half his season with the Blue Jays. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, if you look at and of course you can always quibble and say, yeah, he could refine his secondary pitches more or his fastball command could be a little better. And all right, if you're not Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander, that's pretty much the case for every starting pitcher, right? Yeah. There are a lot of major league starting pitchers whose command is not great. A lot of them on the Toronto Blue Jays roster, in <laughs> fact. So. Nate Pearson can work and refine that command and those finishing touches in the major leagues just as well as he can um, in the minors. Kind of similar to Vladdy, where he can work on his defense and his routines up here just as he was working on them in the minor leagues. He didn't arrive here as a finished product. We've already seen Vladdy evolve and we'll see Pearson evolve. But to me, there's no doubt that Pearson is a major league caliber pitcher right now. And I think that that will be the case, barring some sort of injury or unforeseen circumstance at you know, the beginning of May in 2020. So I think he should be up here for most of next year. Look at Mike Soroka, right? The Canadian who uh, saw a young candidate in the NL. He was an all-star this year. Uh, you know, had didn't have his best outing at Rogers Center on Tuesday, but a guy who's like been having like just a tremendous season. He's a year younger than Nate Pearson. 
Wow. Yeah. So, and he is, he is thriving in the majors and he is a fellow like high upside pitching prospect. So like, I don't like think it's out of the question that Nate Pearson could have a Nate, you know, a, a Mike Soroka season in the majors by any means. Right. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely in play. And I mean, there are also scenarios where you look at, at guys uh, like uh, Trevor Power, Garrett Cole, and it takes them time to, yeah. you know, to really reach their ceiling as a major league pitcher and in other cases and Max Scherzer would fit into that too um in other cases like a Justin Verlander they come up in 2006 I think it was and he was pretty close to being Justin Verlander right away um so I don't think that'll be Nate Pearson I'm not trying to I'm not trying to say that he'll reach any of those guys level but it's fun to be talking about someone who at least has the potential to enter into that conversation the other guy who is uh, really intriguing me right now is Anthony Kay, who is yeah. uh, part of the return for Marcus Stroman along with Simeon Woods-Richardson. Uh, Anthony Kay is 24, so much older than both Nate Pearson and Mike Soroka. Uh, so far in six starts with Buffalo, 33 and a third innings, 189 ERA, Ben, 9-7 K per nine. Don't even look at the 5-1 walks for nine. <laughs> Forget about that. He's ready. Uh, so I think, like, aside from some command issues – I mean, he has been really, really good for Buffalo. I'm starting to wonder if he is pitching his way into a September call-up because when he was first acquired, kind of, you know, what you were hearing was, well, you know, he's probably not going to come up in September, like probably 2020 option. He'd have to, like, really impress us. He'd have to really force the issue. I mean, ERA south of two, uh, you know, striking out a bunch of hitters and, like, just looking really good and seemingly like um making the adjustments to the the major league ball at triple a which was he was struggling with earlier in the season i don't know what isn't you know forcing the issue about that yeah he's in that conversation the blue jays are considering a call out for k and they like what they see from the fastball 91 to 95 from the left side getting the strikeouts obviously the command has been spotty when you see more than a walk per every uh two innings pitch that's that's never what you want to see but he's in that conversation, and he does have to be added to the 40-man yeah. this offseason anyway, so that might grease the wheels for a promotion. I, you know, I would like to see him. I think just from an intrigue standpoint, it would be fun to see him up here. I don't know if that'll happen, but I'd say there's at least a you know, 25 30% chance that he's up here. What would you put the chances at for TJ Zoik? I don't know. I don't have as great a read on Zoik and... Yeah. and his chances of coming up here, I do know that, you know, setting aside the no-hitter, um, which is an incredible achievement, but I think even more broadly, the Jays like the kind of ground ball um, approach that mm -hmm. he's been he's been having and mixing in a few strikeouts, a few more strikeouts than early in the season when, you know, it wasn't really happening. Yeah. Um, so trending in the right direction for TJ's way. Yeah, he really doesn't strike anybody out, does yeah. he? Uh, but he gets a lot of ground balls. Like You look at the uh, the old baseball reference game logs here, and it's like every outing is like 10 ground balls, 15, 10, 10, 15, 13, 12, 15, 11. Like, that's a lot of ground balls. That's a lot. So, like, if the ball is going to be in play, like, that's the one that you need in this era, right? Like, yep. put on the ground because we're shifting everybody now and ground balls get vacuumed up for outs. And, like, the Blue Jays have, like, obviously developing infield defenders, but, like, it's not Yonervis Salarte out there anymore. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> wow. Dude, I was yeah. reading Blue Jays Confidential. <laughs> and the question was, like, about Blue Jays. It was yeah. about the defense or something. Solarte not even mentioned, and you just had to like just drop on him for two hundred <laughs> words. <laughs> yeah, I did have to. I was like, Ben, he's gone. It's over. Yeah, he yeah. can't hurt you anymore. Flashbacks keep coming back. Can't hurt you anymore. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if like Kay and Zoic uh, end up coming up in September. 
Like you can expect to see, you know, Jonathan Davis in September. Um, I think the question for a lot of fans is what about Anthony Alford? Because the Blue Jays already have a crowded outfield. And if you're going to be adding Jonathan Davis to it, how does Anthony Alford fit in? Yeah, it gets really interesting. And I think, you know, up until recently, I assumed that Alford would be up here um, just because he's out of options next year. This might be your final chance, your final good chance to get a look at him before you have to make a decision on his future next spring. Um, of course, you have spring training to make that assessment too. But I mean, as you know, you're just as likely to be facing some, you know, high A reliever yeah. in a spring game as you are to be facing a, an actual major league caliber pitcher. So I think that was my assumption. And that's starting to shift. I think you look at the performance, Jonathan Davis is ahead of Anthony Alford for the kind of year that they've had. And you look at the at-bats. And at a certain point, the Jays might just prefer to give those at-bats to the Billy McKinney's and Derek Fisher's of the world as opposed to giving Anthony Alford regular playing time. So I don't think it's a guarantee that he's up here. I will give him some credit that since he has come back from injuries, so he kind of went down with uh, an injury in uh, in June and came back like at the very, very end of July on July 31st. And in his 53 plate appearances since a 949 OPS, only 53 plate appearances, right. but he has come back. Hitting a couple home runs in there, four doubles, uh, you know, 16 for 49, uh, not walking a ton, but not striking out a, a ton either. So he's looked good since he came back. The thing with Anthony Alford, it's like you look at him and it's like what you have everything you need, man. Like you think about it like, every, like your average MLB baseball player looks a lot different than guys like you and I. Oh, yeah. Right? These guys all look a lot different. Yeah. But Anthony Alford looks yeah. a lot different than the average <laughs> yeah. MLB ball player. Yeah. Right? Like, just specimen. Right? Oh, yeah. This guy is an athlete. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure, like, he could compete at a high level at a variety of sports. This guy played D1, like, NCAA football as a quarterback. Yeah. And then as a safety. <laughs> it's insane. So, you look at him and you're like, man, like, why can't you stay healthy and figure this out because you have everything that you need. So when you have that base and you have those tools and you have that athleticism, I don't know that you want to be like cutting bait on Anthony Alford. If you're the Toronto Blue Jays, like you, this is a guy who you might regret letting go of through waivers or, you know, throwing into a trade or something like this one could come back to bite you, especially considering he hasn't had as much baseball development as some of his peers because he spent time playing football. Um, but the Blue Jays are kind of coming up to crunch time with him being out of options and having, you know, as many outfielders ahead of him as they do. Like they are kind of coming up to a point where they might end up putting him on waivers at the end of spring next year, or they might end up trading him this offseason. Yeah, to me, the scenarios are becoming easier to envision. Um, and I think it's in spite of the fact that Anthony Alford has a lot of people rooting for him within the organization. He's such a well-liked guy. I should have mentioned, and great like character yeah. and makeup as well. Yeah. I mean, to Go the ahead. extent that we can tell these things, just seems to be a really good guy. And the people around him share that uh, share that view. Yeah. And it's similar in a way to Devin Travis, who um, won't play for the Blue Jays this year, not surprisingly for those of us who have followed his, uh, his he, injury he, struggles. He won't play for him next year either. Yeah, he, exactly, right? Because they're going to have to non-tender him. And, you know, maybe there's a minor league deal in there with the Jays to come back to spring training and see what happens. But he's not going to arrive with any assurances. And in both cases... You're looking at guys who, you know, with Travis, we've seen the potential realized. With Alford, we've heard about it and seen it for years. 
and yet you know you, you just don't know where they stand and what what awaits them yeah and the thing with all 30s he's had so many injuries that have like it's you know you can go back to so many years where it's like oh he's figuring out he's putting it together it's happening and then there's an injury you know and there's i don't know there's a concussion or there's a leg injury or there's what there's no bleak or whatever there's, it breaks a hamate bone or something happens right and so it's just been a kind of unfortunate uh you know few years for him but the thing is like the MLB like the service clock it's ticking right like yep. cuz he was called up when he was called up so blue jays running out of options on him so like i'm you know no matter what happens with anthony alford like i'm going to be really interested to watch how it, the rest plays out for him but like i do think we have to give the Blue Jays front office credit in that like Dwight Smith Jr. Like when, you know, when he would come up uh, and play in the majors in previous years, I'd be like, man, all this guy does is hit. Like, he just yeah. comes up and he like, I swear, every time he'd look at the box score, it's like, oh, he's got a single and a double, right? And they cut him loose. And the Blue Jays took some criticism for that when he ended up in Baltimore and he was playing every day and he had this great start. Well, he's in AAA now, yeah. and he ended up being well below league average as an MLB uh, player. Uh, look at the Rule 5 draft, right? The Blue Jays, and, you know, what, you, wait, you protected Jacob Wagus back uh, over Travis Burton and over Jordan Romano, and then you lost those two players? What's going on here? And he used a 40-man spot on a 19-year-old? How are you going to carry this guy on the roster through to the end of the season? I bet you could go back and listen to the letters from before the season. And we were like, Elvis Luciano, like the odds of him making it through the right. year as a Toronto Blue Jay are really, really slim. Here we are where the Blue Jays got Romano back, got Bergen back, and have Luciano in the fold and are going to keep Luciano through the end of the year. Blue Jays front office, like... They, you know, they nail these kind of small incremental moves. They really do. Yeah, I think they deserve credit for the the Smith one. Um, you know, the Luciano one. Yeah. I think I think that's definitely a fair point. And it, it's funny too. I think at the same time, like every major league front office, they're also constantly missing out on huge opportunities. Like constantly, because look at the Rule Five draft, yeah. and you have Aristides Aquino, who's come up for the Reds and just been a force right. offensively. And no one took him in the Rule 5 draft. No. And he goes out and hits, what was it, 36 home runs at AAA, comes up, hits 12 home runs in his first, like, 20 games with the Reds. Jays could have had him. That yeah. could have been their Elvis Luciano, and it would have been a lot better than having some 19-year-old <laughs> who's going to go to high A and then embark on a four-year journey to try to become a major league starting pitcher. Like, I'll take the guy who's crushing home runs right now. And the Jays missed. And yeah. so did the Yankees and the Rays and the Astros, and everyone missed. And at the same time, the Jays gave up on Gio Urshela, and that was a huge yeah. missed opportunity. He's hitting like Manny Machado, and they could have had him in their in their lineup. So, you know, but but then again, so did every other team. So it's it's funny, like they did get those decisions right. And, you know, even going back to the Donaldson discussion, I understand why they made that decision, and yet they are not perfect. And neither is any front office in baseball because there's talent slipping through their hands constantly. Well, and Ross Atkins kind of said on the podcast a few weeks ago, like, you're going to be wrong a lot, yeah. right, um, in these jobs. I just feel like the Blue Jays have, like, and I'm probably being too effusive in my praise, but I think that they have, like, they've nailed a few of these yeah. moves that at the time people like, oh, you know, scratching their heads. Like, so, like, it, this is all to say that, you know, whatever the Blue Jays do with Anthony Alford, like, if they get to a point where they're, like, just cast him free on waivers and, like, Kansas City just takes a shot. Like, he's Kansas City's uh, uh, Billy Hamilton, right? Yeah. Like, right? Like, he just fills that role for them or whatever. I will, you know, be like, okay, 
Let's see how this plays out. Yes, we're kind of preemptively pushing back against the hot takes that will ensue <laughs> once Anthony Alford is released and some team claims him. That's exactly yeah, what I'm doing. I like that. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. That's what we do here on At The Letters. That's Ben Nelson Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. I want to thank Shoali for producing. I want to thank Drew Livingstone for working the cameras. I want to thank you for listening. As always, talk to you next week on At The Letters.